Jesus, we thank you for the great sacrifice you made for us. As we come to the table today, we lay our burdens down at the feet of the cross, and we, we look up to you, and what we deserve, perhaps a, a harsh stare, what we see eyes of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, pardon. Thank you. We've never deserved your love, but you have always given it. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a, a concept that I want to talk to you about today as we think, especially this is Graduate Sunday for the services to come, and that's about kind of things in life that matter most and some things that that we should think about in, in terms of living our life. And today as we come to this message about, uh, about life and the best ways to live it, I want to think about for a second uh, one of two characters we're going to look at. Now we've talked a lot about this person over the course of the last several months, and that's the situation of Peter. And he's really not the principal character that we're going to talk about today, although he's in this story. But, but Peter does something that's quite remarkable that I want you to gather and I want you to see today, and that is that Peter, he really does try to live his life like Jesus lived his life. He wants to be like Jesus. If you don't get anything else out of the message today, hopefully you'll get that much out of it that's important for us to try to be like Jesus. That's at the very heart of what happens uh, in our text today, in our story. Now, before I can tell you the story that I that I want to get to in Acts chapter 9, I first have to talk to you about another story. To see how that Peter follows the example of Jesus, we need to look at what Jesus did first. The story is found in Mark chapter 5, and uh, you know this story. We, we looked at it not long ago. This is the story of the miracle on the way to a miracle, right? Uh, the synagogue ruler uh, has a, uh, a child who's sick, says, my little daughter is dying, please come put your hands on her. So she'll be healed, and then hearing that, Jesus goes. And um, as he's on the way, of course, the woman reaches out that has the issue of blood. She touches Jesus' garment, and she's healed. Then as, as that comes to the end of that story, you remember what happens next. They finally come to the house of the synagogue leader. When they get there, um, it says in verse 37 of chapter 5 in Mark, Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. Remember that because the point here is that we want to live a life that is modeling the way that Jesus lived. So what Peter will do later on, he saw, was an eyewitness to these things with Jesus. Jesus let Peter, James, and John in the room with him for everything that follows. Now when they came to the home of the synagogue leader... Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly, and he went in and said to them, While this commotion and wailing, this child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at Jesus. So Jesus put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them, and he went where the child was. And he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum. Remember those words carefully, Talitha kum. Talitha means little girl. Talitha means little girl, and kum means rise. Little girl, rise. 
come back. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely amazed. Now, that's a remarkable story. And I like that story for so many reasons. But as I said, that's not the principle, but it's the backdrop. It's the pattern. And we're going to see how that Peter says, I want to try to live my ministry, my life, pattern after Jesus. And at the very heart of everything today, if you were a graduate in a transition, if you're transitioning in, from, from working to retirement, whatever transition you find yourself in right now, if you're in that space, this is a good thing to think about. In this new space or this new phase of life, how can I more closely pattern my life after Jesus? Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 9. Let's get to this story of this person we want to really focus on this morning. Her name is Tabitha, also unfortunately known as Dorcas. We'll get to that in a minute, all right? But this is Tabitha, and her story starts in Acts chapter 9, verse 36 and following. Now it says, in Joppa. Now this is a story that's going to open with Peter, but this is kind of an interesting thing. That we're back to Joppa. The last time we saw Joppa in the Bible was when Jonah was running away from God. This is where he took off to run away from God. And it's interesting that now that we see Joppa back in the picture again, we actually see a man of God running to Joppa. I think that's kind of an interesting thing. And uh, so in this place of Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which in Greek, her name is Dorcas. Now, why is this important is that Tabitha literally in Aramaic means little fawn or little antelope. That's what it means. A person named their daughter after what they thought was a beautiful thing, an antelope. And so that's what the name means, little antelope, little fawn. And that's why they make this transition so that the readers, because Luke's audience was predominantly Gentile, not Jewish, and so he makes sure that they understand that, uh, that Dorcas is the word for a fawn uh, in the Roman world, and so that's the idea that he goes with here. He makes sure you know that this is about a little fawn, a little antelope. Now, this is the story of Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. There are some tensions that we have to explore today. One of those tensions is how much of my life, if my life is Christ-centered, how much of my life must be other-centered, and how much must necessarily be self-centered? And before you think it should never be self-centered, remember that Jesus himself frequently went away by himself to pray and to seek the Lord. All right? So how much of my life has, in this tension, how much of my life is going to be given to others? And some of it definitely should be. Tabitha was known because she was a person who was living a life that was positively impacting others around her. She was more other-centered than self-centered. Her life was marked by her charity. And she was not one who waited to do good, but she did good immediately, right where she was. And we'll learn a lot more about the kind of good she did as the story unfolds. I want to, to remind you of something that Peter would say elsewhere in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 
Peter kind of gives a command to all of us. He says, use whatever God has given you to serve others. Use whatever gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given you. Use those things to serve others. It's an idea that says God didn't just gift you so that you could have personal success. He gifted you so you could be a blessing to others. Tabitha understood that. And so her life was marked as one that was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, years ago, I heard a sermon preached. In fact, it was when I was in Bible college back in the mid-1980s, which sounds like forever ago to some of you all. Uh, But when I was there in that space, I heard a college student preach a sermon called Making the Most of Your Dash. And he talked about the dash on your tombstone between the year you're born and the year you die. And he said, make the most of it. Now, I'm sure that was probably one of the most plagiarized sermons, and I have no idea who really came up with the idea. But nonetheless, the point stuck with me. Make the most of the time that you have. Interestingly enough, we don't know how old Tabitha is. We, don't, we can guess at some things. There might, she might have been a widow. She might have been older. But we really don't get to know how old she was. And it doesn't really matter in our story, her age. What we know about her is that her reputation was she always did good. Her epitaph would read, doing good and helping the poor, which would be a pretty good thing to have said about you when you die, I think. What a good way to be remembered. She was always doing good and helping the poor. He was always doing good and helping the poor. This is how she was remembered. Now, there's an idea sometimes that says that if we are honoring God, life will always be good. And we have to acknowledge that Tabitha was honoring God, but what happens next in her story isn't necessarily so good. In verse 37, it says, About that time, Tabitha became sick, and she died. She was always doing good. She was helping the poor, but she got sick. And she died. So they washed her body and they placed it in an upstairs room. Now there's a reason for this. Uh, In the first century, especially in a hot and arid climate, it was important. Bodies degraded quickly. So it was important when someone died. Uh, The funerals usually processed very quickly. What's unique here actually isn't that uh, they wash her after she died. What's unique is that they actually put her up in an upper room as if they're waiting for something, hoping for something, because the normal practice actually would have been to quickly move towards her burial. What are they waiting on? (laughs) What's their hope? Now, I find this next little part of the story kind of remarkable because in that time, they didn't have telephones, and they didn't have... Uh, They didn't have the internet, and they didn't have television, so how do they know where people were moving around in the world? Maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe the church was well-connected and they shared information back and forth. Whatever the case may have been, they know something. Not just something about God, they know that the apostle Peter is nearby. He's about eight miles away in the town of Lydda. And they know that he's there, and because he's there, they have some expectation that Peter might be able to do something to help Tabitha. 
Now, why they have that expectation is interesting to me, because there's no evidence in the Bible that Peter had ever raised the dead before this moment. There's nothing in his story up to this point that would suggest Peter, we have evidence that people got healed, we have evidence of people being helped, but raising the dead, <laughs> that's a big one. But they seem to have a hope that God's going to intervene in some way for their friend Tabitha. And so her body's placed upstairs to wait. Now Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Remember that first story we looked at today when they came to Jesus? Jesus said, okay, I'm going to go. And Peter went with them. This is an important part of the story, and it's an important part of transitions. All the way through life, there are moments where we have to make decisions. Will I be inactive or active? Am I going to do something about this or let someone else try to do something about it? Will I take responsibility to engage or I hope someone else does something in this matter? In this case, we see Peter and Jesus being people who took compassionate action when there was a problem. And there was a problem. I need to get ahead in the story a little bit, so I'm going to tell you something about what Tabitha did. We're going to see some things unfold in just a few minutes that she was a person who was helping the widows. She was very adamantly out there helping people whose husbands had died. Why? Because in the first century world, uh, when so much of life revolved around male leadership and male passing on of property rights and land rights and wealth, a widow, especially a childless widow, was in a terrible predicament. Now, there were a few exceptions to this rule in the world. There were wealthy women, but the norm was that widows, well, they were in a, a difficult space. There was no social security program. I want you to recognize something about the first century. What made the church so absolutely phenomenal is that the church was the first entity to bring a kind of social program to the world. No one cared about slaves and about widows the way the church did. What the church did after the day of Pentecost, when they got tables and started having feedings for the widows, this was unique. This was remarkable. When the church people started selling what they had to help other people, this was remarkable. Why were they doing that? Because they were following the example of Jesus and they were doing something. And what Tabitha does is she helps these widows She's about the ministry of them, and she's concerned, and she takes action the same way that Peter takes action. And I have to wonder how many problems and ills in our world could be, could be eradicated and could be confronted and be dealt with if more Christians would just take action and do what we could do to make a difference. Peter goes with them. And when he arrives in Joppa, he is taken upstairs to the room, and all the widows are standing around him. Now they begin to, to cry, but they also show him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So now we begin to see part of what Dorcas's ministry was. She was a tremendous seamstress. 
And she made sure that these women, though they were poor, they looked rich. They were adorned with beautiful garments that she made for them. She took her skill and she used it to make someone else look better, (laughs) to be better. And this is how she was remembered. The women said to Peter, look at the clothes that she made for us. And I don't think that they like have a rack where she's selling these things. I think they're just pointing at their own clothes. Look at these tunics. Look at these dresses. She made all of this for us. She clothed us. She made us feel special. She's incredible. There's no one else in this city of Joppa like her. What are we going to do without her, Peter? We need her here. Her life was marked by industriousness. What we also note about her is that she did things well. Oftentimes today, the adage is, how can I do something quickly, get it done and get on to the next thing? But her emphasis was on quality. She did things with quality, with substance, not with indifference. She was willing to put quality into the small stuff. It's almost like she recognized whatever she was doing, she was working at it as if she was working for the Lord and not herself. They were crying, and they show him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now, I told you, Peter follows the examples of Jesus. So Peter sends them all out of the room, just like Jesus had. He got down on his knees, and he prayed. Let me say this about transitions for every one of us. We need to be earnestly praying. If there's one thing I would say to Christians today uh, that they need to be doing more of, we need to be praying more. We need to be talking to God more. Uh, Prayer is important. Things happen when we pray. Go back and read every one of these stories where miracles happened, where transformation happened, when destiny was changed. It was because people were praying. Peter walks out of the prison. Why? Because people were praying for Peter. In this case, everything that will follow is predicated on prayer. Prayer makes a difference. Dorcas had lived her life, Tabitha had lived her life in such a way that her absence was going to be felt. And people said, we need her here. And Christians, I I want the world to come to a place not where they hate us, but where they said, we need Christians here. Christians make a difference. The world's not as good a place without them. We need them here. So Peter prays. Now what's incredible, I told you that Peter modeled and patterned his life and his practice after Jesus. And friends, you're about to get your eyes open to that in an incredible way, even down to the words that he speaks. Because it says, after he prayed, he remembered what Jesus had said. Jesus said, Talitha kum, little child, arise. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says, Tabitha kum, little fawn, Tabitha, little fawn, Tabitha, not Talitha, but Tabitha kum, little child, (laughs) rise up, little fawn, rise up. (laughs) 
it's not a bad idea to take Jesus at his word, is it? And as soon as he speaks those words to her, just like he had seen Jesus those years before, immediately her eyes opened. And seeing Peter, she sat up. And he took her by the hand. And he helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially for the widows. And he presented her to them alive. I love that part of the story. It's a great thing. She was restored. The widow's grief was turned to joy. Can you imagine what it was like after that when, when she walked down the street and someone says, boy, Tabitha, I'm really sorry to hear about your death, but I'm really glad you're alive again. I mean, how do you respond to that, right? That's a weird thing. And here she is. She's back. She's back. And I think the widows especially, why? Because they looked to her and they thought, no one else is caring for us like she does. But I just have to also wonder, does her passing, as temporary as it was, did it inspire someone else to say, you know what, I need to be more like her. I need to pick up that mantle. Does it inspire us? Who are you investing in? Tabitha invested her life in the widows, and she changed their lives. Who are you investing your life in? Whose world is better because of the things that you are doing today? I think God calls all of us, all of us, to join him in the work of renewing the world. Your life speaks. Your life speaks. Sometimes it speaks good, sometimes it speaks bad, but your life speaks. This story tells us how Tabitha was remembered. She was always doing good. She helped the poor. How will we be remembered? How will you be remembered? How will I be remembered? After this event happened, it became known all over Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. Now, the next thing I want to say to you is that if you read on to what happens next in the book of Acts, some incredible stuff happens. God has a way of preparing us for what's next. He clearly prepared Peter for what was to come, didn't he? All the way down to clear the room and what to say when you pray. <laughs> he prepared him for what was coming. And in this story, if I'm correct in assuming this is the first time that Peter's ever seen God raise the dead through his words and prayers, he is feeling empowered and he is feeling strengthened and encouraged, I think, in a way he's never felt before. It emboldens Peter to do something revolutionary. Because what's about to happen next is that Peter, first of all, he'll go stay with Simon the Tanner, 
a person who's unclean, a person who in the Judeo-Christian or the world of Judaism was 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 considered ceremonially unclean all the time. <laughs> Yet Peter goes and stays at his house. It seems that Peter is beginning to associate with people of a low position, kind of like Jesus did, following his example. And Peter, who at times had had a problem with what people thought of him, he would act one way around the Jews and a different way around the Gentiles. Peter, on this occasion, kind of says, I don't care what people think. I'm emboldened to do what God wants me to do. And so he'll go and he'll be there with Simon. And then the really big thing will happen because it's Peter. Even though Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, it's Peter who will come back to the Christians in Jerusalem and say, listen, you're not going to believe this, but the message now is going to the Gentiles in a powerful way. I've seen it with my own eyes. Because he'll have a vision while he's here in Joppa. And he'll leave and he'll go and he'll witness to a Gentile family and he will see that Cornelius and his household have come to faith. And the story will change in a big way. And thank God it did because you and me, we're like the household of Cornelius. We're grafted into the vine not naturally produced by it. Peter is emboldened to do something incredible. And it started with just being like Jesus around Tabitha. I'm just going to be like Jesus. And when he was like Jesus, Jesus worked through him to do the impossible. And it enabled him to be emboldened then to go out and to radically change how people saw what God wanted to do. And maybe if you and I are faithful in our time, maybe God has some seismic things left to do in the world. Be faithful in the small things. Making nice dresses is what she did. Take care of your neighbor, that's what she did. Look after the people no one else is looking after, that's what she did. And her life doesn't just bear a witness today 2,000 years later in the text. But her life bore a witness that I think even encouraged an apostle. And that apostle, well, he went out and helped change the world. Maybe that's what you'll do. Maybe your kindness, your word, your generosity, your faithfulness, maybe you'll be the one who reaches someone who will change the world for Jesus. Your life speaks. God prepares us. In transitions of life, we are reminded of the importance of prayer. We are reminded of the importance of action. We are reminded of the importance of living our life, not necessarily just for ourselves, but for Christ and for others. Your life speaks. What is your life speaking today? Let us pray. Father God, we come before you today and we're encouraged by the story of, of Tabitha. We're encouraged by the story of Jesus raising the little girl and of Peter raising this woman back into ministry. But we know that she eventually did die and go on. And yet her life is remembered. Father, let us live our lives in such a way that people will give glory to God when they think of us 10 years from now, 100 years from now, and if you tarry, 1,000. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>
Tabitha knew Jesus as her Savior. Peter knew Jesus as his Savior. Do you know Jesus as your Savior today? You see, friends, knowing Jesus is what makes all the difference. And not just knowing him, but believing in him, trusting in him, and having made him your Lord and your Savior. It's the key. So I want to ask you, have you made that most important decision? If not, would you make it today as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation? Thank you.